This is the Friday, October 14, 2022 version of the Market Analysis segment for Market to Market. Welcome back, panel. Good to see you all. Don, this report on Wednesday, we were kind of meh on the trade beforehand. What did the report, what stood out to you? Well, I think in the big perspective of the whole report, this report is all about the supply side of the market. And uh, that was the bull story for the week. Then after that, it was really about the demand side. And the demand side was uh, a little bit suspect. And even in this report, it was suspect as it took the exports down. It took the uh, ethanol down on the uh, corn. So I would say it's a market that couldn't get over $7 on D's corn, couldn't get over $14, and moved wheat back under $9, we, Paul. We talked about $7 with Sue last week about just kind of a psychological thing. So, Elaine, I guess I'll ask you is... Is the $7 factor real, and did this report confirm that to you, that we have a problem getting above there? I mean, I think Don is absolutely right that, you know, from a supply and demand perspective, you can uh, sort of argue that this report was sort of neutral, or you can make it look either way, as the trade has done through this week. But you're right to say that there's a psychological thing about $7, and it's difficult from a marketing standpoint for farmers who have this opportunity to sell $7 corn, which is a nice thing to do. If you think throughout your entire career of farming, do you have an opportunity to sell $7 corn? That's a nice opportunity, and yet it's hard. It's difficult because you never know what's going to happen three months down the line or six months down the line. Jeff, the soybean contract, though, or the report, the report of the contract, sent the contract higher uh, because we don't think the crop is there. I rode with a few farmers this week. I'm sure you've talked, you've all talked to farmers. Beans are pretty good for them. So why is the market not in sync necessarily with USDA? Well, we had the spike up, and uh, we were 30 higher at one point during the week. But, uh, yeah, psychologically, $14 beans off the combine, that's a pretty good number. Uh, exports have been lower. Uh, we had inspections here down at, you know, 10-year lows. So... We are running into, you know, the higher dollar affecting demand as well. But, you know, we are in the heart of harvest here. We're going to be about 50% harvested. Uh, you know, we should be putting in a harvest low here pretty, time, pretty soon here. Putting the low in at this rate, that kind of makes you think, uh, are, are we coiling up for something big? I think if you can see a close over 1435, uh, I think we could rally after that. Uh, but I want to see the November contract close above 1435 before I get real bold up. Anything else on the report you want to get in before we move on? Well, I was just going to uh, remind everybody that, you know, the big problem that we have with the soybeans is last year Brazil had a drought. And if you look at it from a world perspective, we just saw it on the, on the world ending stocks are going to be about 400 million more. Brazil alone this year is going to raise about 950 million more bushels of soybeans than last year. The five nations are going to raise about 1.5 billion bushels. So your export time is now. When you hit the 1st of January, it's going to be a slow go. We I mean, have a, go ahead. Well, it's, it's true that USDA boosted that, those Brazilian numbers in this report, but you think weather-wise, uh, the Climate Prediction Center came out and said that the chance of La Nina is now 75%, which I think the market's already been trading this triple-dip La Nina idea, but it's more and more certain. So I kind of wonder if, if there may not be a, a, a bullish South American story, not now and not in those tables yet, but, you know, that's the, that's the, the hope that I think some people are, are waiting on for the Almost winter. definitely. I mean, you know, and we all know that weather's pretty uncertain. But, you know, along that, we've got some meteorologists that are telling us that the La Nina is going to die starting the, uh, in the middle of November. And if it does, then we go back to a weather pattern that is more favorable. But yeah. we'll see. Okay. I mean, we know how weather is. But, Jeff, here's the story, alluding a little bit back to what you said. We're dry 
uh, below St. Louis and Quincy on the Mississippi were lighter toes, less wide barges. We can't ship this product in the middle of the country. Stack Island, it's stacking up. No, it doesn't look like it's going to change here for another three to four weeks. So uh, not the best time right here in the middle of harvest to not being able to ship our product. So that's going to affect the basis, especially around the river areas. You can't say basis until Elaine says basis. It's kind of like a, a thing we say here. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, but the reason I bring up the, the, the factor on the, on the river is, given what we're discussing about trying to ship and the, the weather pattern, even if it rains tomorrow, it's not going to improve that situation on the river. So the basis is thrown off. If I'm along an area that depends on the Mississippi, what am I doing right now? Well, you have two choices. You can you know, take your lumps and sell it here, or you put it in the bin and see if you can improve this here in the next couple of months. But if you are putting it in the bin at $14 beans, uh, you got to have some protection underneath this thing because, uh, like we were talking earlier here, you get to mid-December, 1st of January, the export market, especially from China, on the beans is going to slow down drastically. Given what you said a minute ago, is USDA looking at South America enough in this report? Was it reflected enough in this report? I don't know. And, and also, I think that it also reflected this export idea. I mean, some of that, that cut that they made to the exports, I think, is because of the Mississippi River problem, honestly. Like, the very disappointing weekly export sales we've had is perhaps, in my opinion, because the shippers haven't wanted to make commitments because they can't get it shipped down to the Gulf. And yet, the daily reports, we saw some huge daily sales to China this week in soybeans. Half a million bushels on Wednesday, half a million bushels on Thursday, half a million bushels... Yeah, half a million bushels on Friday. So when you talk about the soybean market possibly seeing a low, I think, I mean, it's not there again on the tables yet, but China, I think, is seeing these prices and seeing a buying opportunity. How are we going to get it there, Don? Yeah, you know, and that's a good point. But, you know, you talk about exports. Our export sales on corn are down 51% versus a year ago. Soybeans are up 7%. But basically the reason I think we're selling beans so aggressively because Brazil had a drought last year and they're sold out. So we're really the only uh, game in town. And um, China's overall demand this next year is going to be down, what, like uh, four or five million metric tons. So, I mean, they're in a slowdown too. So I think you got to be a little bit careful. I just still think all these markets are about the supply side is kind of baked in. Maybe you can reignite it. And then you start to look at the demand, whether it's the equity market, the exports. Um, I think that's where it's at. I want to jump in. One more thing about the river is that it's not just the southbound it's the problem, but northbound, the fertilizer. You know, we did see sort of a low prices in fertilizer in early September, and it is starting to creep back higher. And I think part of that's just seasonal. Anhydrous, like $1,400 a ton, which is not a barge problem, but the barge <laughs> problem for urea and such, like that's, that's why, is because northbound barges are going to be a problem. So whatever problems you were anticipating about fertilizer pricing, just increase those problems. All right, Jeff, let's start with wheat for a minute, specifically on a contract here. We haven't mentioned the word Russia or Ukraine yet, but we know that's the hanging over this, this, uh, this conversation. Kansas City wheat had a rough Wednesday. The charts have been moving. The, each city has been so different as a complex whole Talk to me about the wheat. Well, you go, you start Sunday night, you're at a three-month high on the big, you know, attacks from Russia into Ukraine, spiked it up to a three-month high. And then by the end of the week, we're down here at a one-month low. Technically, a weekly uh, outside down uh, on the weekly charts, uh, that's a negative chart signal. Uh, with the strength of the U.S. dollar, uh, demand destruction, 
this wheat to me looks overpriced, and I think we could see another 60 to 80 cents downside. You have $9, $10 wheat out there. Uh, those are some big numbers. And uh, talking to a client here today, he sells wheat seed in Kansas, and uh, he's been selling seed wheat for 20 years. This is his biggest year for wheat seed sales this year. So a lot of wheat going in the ground, not at the best condition, obviously, um, but the world is going to respond to these prices, and they're going to be planting a lot of wheat here. At what cost, though, Don? Well, you know, you talk about the wheat seedings. I think one of the reasons they're up so strong is a lot of these guys are planting wheat for the insurance. I mean, we've got tons of people doing that. Because but of the dry conditions, Because of the dry conditions. I mean, it's so dry, what are you going to plant? Yeah. Not soybeans, not corn. We're just plant wheat, see what happens. Um, but, you know, the Putin rally just is what we look at it as. I mean, it just doesn't stick. I mean, it's been since February we spiked up and we keep coming down. So um, Russia has a, a record wheat crop. And they want to sell it, and they're selling it aggressively. They need funds, and they're basically clearing the world market. And uh, Ukraine, um, they've been shipping out pretty aggressively. So we wheat market just fumbles around nine dollars, fifty cents up, fifty cents down. And uh, world supplies are uh, tight if you don't count Ukraine and the Black Sea area, but adequate otherwise. And I think that's part of the issue. You get a psychological question again, Elaine. Is, is, do we have another, num- another blockage above getting a certain number here in wheat? It's that and the other blockage that I have, uh, or psychological bias that I've encountered from farmers this summer, particularly in hard red wintery country where it has been so dry, is that they have poor yields, which means that their cost of production is higher. And so they say $9 wheat, sure, but my cost of production went up. Like, sure, but like... Just because your cost of production goes up doesn't mean that the market has to. So, I mean, my advice would be do not let let that be your block. You still have to face reality of what the markets may or may not do in the future. Don, we talked about $7 corn already. Uh, What are you hearing from clients about how big the crop is for them? Is anybody uh, optimistic yet? Well, I mean, I think these yields are variable. Um, you know, small crops get smaller, and that's what happened. I mean, basically from here forward, uh, yields don't change a lot, Paul, so you're back to the demand side of the market. But, you know, if you look at it from uh, a pricing standpoint, you know, historically these are pretty good prices where you're at right now. And sometimes, you know, a producer should look at changing his ownership um, when you've got an economy the way it is, pretty shaky out here, really. Um, you see the uh, dollar as strong as it is. You see the equity markets up and down. So uh, sometimes you're better off to just uh, look at your gross dollars per acre, make sure you reach some satisfied numbers, change your ownership uh, to options or futures, and still participate. And don't forget about next year's crop, trying to do some risk management out there, Paul. Jeff, do you buy his uh, description of the market? Yeah, small crops get smaller. I mean, in the seven years that the USDA lowered the corn yield from September to October, in every year they've gone on to lower the final in, in the final USDA number. So the market knows this, um, but again, we just can't get above $7. I mean, we've tried it nine times here in the last month. Uh, you know, this corn has kind of been flatlined. I mean, it's been between 660 and $7 here for two and a half, three months. So... We get a close above 706. I don't know what's going to trigger that right now, but uh, we get a close above 706. Maybe we can go to that 730 area. Uh, But right now, I just don't see that. We're just in the thick of harvest, and there's just a lot of selling pressure right now. And part of, the, part of the reason may be, as Don mentioned, the dollar is getting stronger and stronger. So each time you get a slightly more bullish scenario on the crop, you also have to fight against the headwinds of that stronger dollar. So I think that, that will keep that uh, challenging. 
You know, the, the one thing, you know, sometimes we forget, but historically, short crops have a long tail. I mean, I think everybody's heard about that. And this is a classic one that could develop. And the reason is um, the end user is scrambling. Basis is in a lot of areas was tight too long. And what happens in a short crop long, uh, a short crop long tail is the uh, end user, you think he's the smartest guy out here. He needs to get covered. He's usually the first, last person in. So he covers... Then you get a big crop in South America. The producer is going to sell as you get past the first of the year into the spring, and you go up into the fall, down into the spring. So let's see if that happens. I mean, I think it's up to South America. How long's the tail on the bean crop, Elaine? I mean, small crop gets smaller. I mean, that's what, that's what the market appeared to respond to on Wednesday. Yeah, and what's interesting is like it's not just the soybeans; it's the the palm oil and the canola okay. and like all all of the the edible oil markets. And it was interesting that that. I mean, we never want to say that soybeans are led by oil because they're typically not. But the meal has been so weak, and the oil is the one that's finally starting to get some, some interest again. And I, I suspect that, once again, it's China or Asia more generally seeing this as a buying opportunity, that it's finally gotten cheap enough that they want to step in and buy. Jeff, do you Well, agree? the canola, the you know, it's, it's been down in the dumps here for a while, but it did. It closed above 851 uh, a ton here this week. Looks like it wants to go to that $900 a ton, but that's going to be probably some psychological resistance. But on a chart, uh, the canola looks pretty strong here right now. Yeah, so a canola chart looks exactly the same as a bean oil chart. Like, they are, they are neck and neck, very tightly correlated. So whatever, whatever anticipation you have for palm oil or bean oil or just edible oils generally, that's, that's how you should feel about your canola. And the reason we're talking about canola is because Paul in Saskatchewan asked about this, and Elaine got really excited when canola was on the, the list today. I, <laughs> Go ahead. Can I also translate <laughs> yes. Jeff's eight fifty into American dollars? Yeah. It's about 27 cents a pound if you're in North Dakota. Those are the cash bids. Today. So then, what? That's always a, a factor in that region. Uh, is that a good thing or bad thing this year with that higher dollar that we're, you were alluding to earlier? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know. The Canadian dollar has been pretty weak, but compared to the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar getting stronger just makes everything else look weird. The Brazilian real, the euro. I mean, everything sort of operates in, in, in an opposite term. But uh, as far as cash prices, if you're a North Dakota canola farmer, this is this is good times. You know, in the big picture of things, I mean, the one thing that the oil really has a strong underlying fundamental support is biodiesel. I mean, it's a growth area, and it's going to continue to be a growth area. You know, ethanol, maybe you can fight, uh, you know, gasoline, but we really don't have a substitute for diesel. And, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of plants come on, uh, that are going to come on lines, line, so I think it's a big deal. Jeff, where's the role of inflation in this soybean discussion that we may have overlooked? Well, it's affecting everything. I mean, it just makes everything more expensive. And with inflation roaring like it is right now, it, it's going to continue to keep the Fed on a stance of raising interest rates. Uh, and that will make the dollar continue to be strong. Uh, you know, I think we have a, a period of time here, probably for the next two to three years, of we're going to see very strong greenback. And you had one of the biggest private uh, commodity traders in the world uh, this week come out and say, you know, this higher dollar, higher prices, and the uh, uh, inflation is definitely having demand destruction throughout the world right now. Is the cotton market impacted more by China right now or higher dollar? 
Well, this past week, I would say neither. I mean, it was sort of trading the report and trading supply and demand and had some really volatile days. But I think long term, you're absolutely right that cotton is extremely sensitive to the overall economy and whether people are buying clothes. Can they afford to be buying clothes at inflated prices, not just here, but also in Asia? So so you're right long term. But I'd say this week, no, it was supply and demand story. Don, the uh, packer margins have uh, poof, evaporated. Why? Well, you know, this is, well, because we're in the uh, cyclical bull market on uh, cattle, usually we go three and a half years up, three and a half years down. The, we moved into the red for the first time since 2018. Packer margins, 5 to $25 a head in the red. Um, so, I mean, I think the things have changed where the feedlots are going to be in control versus the packer. packer but he c- has control from a standpoint that he can slow down the chain speed but along that line, the government is telling me that we're going to consume each person uh, 2.7 pounds less beef this next year. You're going to eat 2.4 more pounds of pork and 0.8 tenths or of chicken and 8 tenths pound of more uh, uh, pork. So while the supplies are tight, they're saying that we're going to change our consumption habits. Do you believe that? Well, why, why should I believe that? Because economically, we've, we've seen the culling of herds in Oklahoma and Texas and the struggle to feed all these animals. That flies in the face of what you're saying. Well, and you're back to the same thing. It's not about the supply side is bullish, okay. just like in the grains. It's the demand side, and the demand side is unknown. You can't tell me what you're going to eat for the next year. I mean, from pork, beef, and chicken, and maybe you can't. <laughs> I can't maybe decide you can't what I'm going to have for supper tonight, <laughs> you know? Don. But that's, but that's an inflation story, too, is that the packers, their, their profit margins are being challenged, not because of the, the live cattle prices, which are you know, impressively stable, but the beef prices that have been dwindling. And so you've got choice box beef at 246 which is not what it was back in July. I mean, it's still high from a grocery shopper's perspective, which I suspect is why you're looking at less beef consumption. But from a packer's perspective, that's where they're getting challenged. Jeff, I'm only allowed to ask you about inflation. What's the role of inflation on this cattle market? Well, it's going to just continue to make, you know, give the consumer less dollars in their pocket to spend up. And that's the big question is, do they start cutting in places? Um, and we'll just have to see that. I mean, the supply side is well known, and it's, it's going to be friendly for probably two years on the cattle. Uh, but the, the, the demand is the question mark, and we're just going to have to see what it brings. But uh, there'll be less demand, I think, in, in the beef market coming next year. But, you know, you talk about the supply side. This is just how fast it goes down. Like in the uh, end of this quarter, the fourth quarter, we're going to go down 3.5% on supplies. The first quarter, we go down 4.5%. The second quarter, you go down 7%. The third quarter, you go down 8.5% total production versus a year ago. Those are big drops, and that's why you're talking the cyclical bull. Sounds like the uh, sale barns should be busy. Yes, they should be get, getting, getting Some um, feeders worked up here. I mean, so like in Montana, they're just getting started with their fall run. We haven't seen the big, big numbers yet. But my expectation will be when you do see the big numbers, when you do have people go in to buy these calves, even now you can still be selling 600-pound calves above $2. Um, There, you know, a few weeks ago or a few months ago, you saw like big, big fancy sales at 260 or something, right? And that may not be there when we get the fall runs going. But I think $2 is a reasonable goal for for higher quality six-weight calves when the fall runs get going. How, how can you pencil out to expand right now, Jeff, on a herd? Well, the, the, the feeder cattle had that big sell-off there last month. You know, it was $14, $15 lower. But we've, we've held the support levels in the November in that 170 174 area. Uh, you know, these fats, 
you look at the deferreds, they're 150 to 155, 60 area. Uh, this feeder cattle market, if the corn can break here, uh, this feeder cattle market could get real hot real quick, especially on the futures. So how do you prepare before I go to a lane? How do I... Well, you get, you get some calls on right here. Okay. I mean, we, we've, it looks like we're putting in a bottom here right now, initially. Uh, so you buy some calls on paper. Yeah, so Jeff mentions that 150, 155 level. That's where it needs to be. For the feedlots to be making any money, it's got to be there or above. And while it is there, there is opportunities to lock in money and speak to your broker and, and lock in money. But even for the calves, I mean, the LRP insurance that you can buy for calves to, to lock in some, some prices, that is cheap, almost free when you look at the, the federal subsidy and, and certainly worth it from a risk management perspective. So we're eating more pork? Is that what you said? We're, next year we're supposed to consume uh, eight tenth, basically one pound more than we did this last year. So how does that translate what I'm doing in the, uh, in the barn with the hogs? Well, I mean, I think from the hog supply, you know, it's a really a jumpy market because your supplies are going to be down 1% in the fourth quarter. Then they go uh, up 1% in the uh, first quarter of next year. Then they go down 2% in the second quarter, then up again 1%. But I think overall, the hog market's going to have to see if it can keep up with the uh, beef market because, you know, the spread's going to stay so much. So um, the high-priced beef is probably the most bullish story on the hogs. Uh, China has uh, expanded their herd greatly. Their meal demand over there is very strong. So um, look at the exports. The exports are soft. One's always kind of casting a shadow over the other. Yeah, I, I look at the hogs. I mean, the chart, you know, we had the big sell-off. Um, and this week, we've come back to regain about 50% of that sell-off. Uh, the December, right around that 85, 85 cent mark. So, uh, look for some protection here on this, because this thing can go back south here in a hurry. You each get a few seconds to close. I'm, I'm riding in the combine this week, Elaine. What are the two things I need to watch next week? Well, in the combine, you'll see that yields are probably not as bad as they could have been given the drought that everyone has, or not everyone, but much of the Corn Belt has experienced. So I guess, you know, watch that to, to, to keep a lid on things. Don? I think when, the per, when, the, when, you're going, when you're driving in the combine, I think you have to ask yourself, do I want to store this price of a, uh, on corn and soybeans, or do I want to sell it? Historically, we've never been able to sell prices this time of year at this level. Two things, two words. If you it, exactly, I mean, I, I like selling these prices. I mean, these are excellent prices off the combine. But look out, look yep. for some reownership out into July. All right, Jeff, Elaine, Don, thank you so very much. We have uh, some questions that we're going to get to the three of them about welding the, uh, the bin door shot. We'll talk about that in Market Plus. But we're going to put a pause in this analysis right now. We will continue with the three of these fine folks and answer more of your submitted questions in our Market Plus segment. You can find that, by the way, on our website at markettomarket.org. It's in podcast form, so take it along in the combine there and on YouTube. And all of those resources are free because, you know, harvest may be the best time to get caught up on podcasts. When you do have some time in the cab, dial up one of our three offerings, the Market Analysis, which you just heard, Market Plus, which we're about to record in the MTOM. Follow to stay in the know. Next week, a checkpoint on the fight against global food insecurity. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great week.